0: Uh, We won't make it too long, I promise, but I want to look at several thoughts. I always like preaching on resolution uh, going into the new year. Uh, I always look, I know for me and for most people, when you come into a new year, there is this idea almost of, not necessarily spiritual, although it can be, revival, it's this kind of hope is back in you for the new year. Okay, now this year I'm actually going to do it, whatever it may be. Uh, Last year I resolved to read more books. Uh, I accomplished that, but that didn't take very much uh, (laughs) because I don't like to read. Uh, But uh, uh, then you you always have the weight loss and the dieting and the exercise and those kinds of things that we say we're going to do it this year. Uh, Maybe there are Uh, personal goals that you seek to accomplish in the new year. But it always seems when we come to this point in the year, we begin to resolve certain things. We're going to do better, or we're going to do more, or we're going to do different, whatever it may be. And uh, when I was praying about what to preach on this week, I came to this, and um, I preached a message on resolution, uh, I think three different times uh, in the history of this church. And, uh, and I didn't want to do that one again. I wanted to do something different and began to pray through some different things and look at some different topics. And, uh, and so I came onto this and we'll read, we actually won't spend much time in Mark at all, but I think it's a good diving board for us this morning to look at three thoughts uh, about I am resolved. Uh, Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 34, the Bible says, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also... He said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's a wonderful question that's asked by Christ here as he's teaching and preaching. And he asks a very simple question in verse 36. What shall it profit a man if if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I don't know about you. Actually, I do. (laughs) Uh, But I know I'm this way. We like to profit. Not necessarily. I mean, we all enjoy profiting financially, but not just that. Anything that we do, we'd like for it to profit us in some way, shape, or form, right? We don't want to go through life and and it not profit us in any way. As, As unselfish as we want to be, we always hope that whatever we're doing profits us. And Christ here preaching or teaching says, What shall it profit a man if he will gain everything in this world and lose his own soul? We look into the new year, and I want us to look at this idea of resolved, or I am resolved. And look at this, and we're actually going to use the hymn uh, to look through this a little bit of I am resolved. I looked up the hymn story behind it. I was hoping for some wonderful story behind the writing of the hymn I am resolved. But basically what it came down to is a pastor's son who grew up to be a pastor himself was really good at writing words and lyrics for songs. And a publisher noticed this and hired him and said, here's a tune I have, write words to it. And he wrote the song, I Am Resolved, (laughs) originally titled Resolute, uh, and and eventually into I Am Resolved. But it's a wonderful hymn, it's a wonderful thought, the thoughts within that hymn, which are scriptural, uh, which give us a good basis to look on, to dive off of, to begin our new year with. So this morning, I'd like to talk to us about the idea of I Am Resolved. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. God, we do thank you for letting us be here. I don't know we know there are some that could not be here for health or travel, different reasons. But Lord, I pray that today, the group of people that you've assembled, Lord, that we would learn of you, be reminded things that we already know and maybe have not been on our minds as of late. Uh, but Lord, I pray that you would use your word today to um, push us into this new year, resolve to be more of what you want us to be. And Lord, I pray that as your word is presented today, it would be done so clearly and correctly. And God, I just pray that you would clear out our distractions, clear out our thoughts of of the rest of the day or the week. And uh, Lord, that you'd help us to focus in on these next couple minutes on what your word says. Lord, that we can be drawn to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at three thoughts this morning. Point number one, I'd like us to see, I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delights. A wonderful phrase to start off the song, I Am Resolved. And we see this thought process behind uh, this song. A lot of this song that is written is geared towards the gospel, uh, being drawn to the gospel, accepting the gospel. That is a lot of what this, the hymn is. But that first line in the song, I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. We've studied 1 John in recent months. If you've forgotten it or weren't here for it, go back and listen to it. Uh, but the idea of, of not being in love with the things of this world, being resolved to no longer be charmed by the things of this world, but to be drawn to the things of God, seeking or choosing even, uh, this decision that is made, I will no longer be charmed by this world. I will no longer be um, enchanted by this world. I'll not let the things of the world draw me to it and away from God. It's like the old fly light. I grew up around horses, and if you have horses, you have flies. Uh, well, if you have any kind of animal waste, you have flies, right? If you got dogs, you got flies. If you got Cats, you got flies. You got flies if you got animals. And we would have this, you know, this light with a little cage around it uh, that we'd plug in at the barn. And uh, and you could sit and really be entertained by it all day long. Uh, but especially at night. Because at night, the flies are drawn to light. During the day, they've got all kinds of light. But at night, they're drawn to it. And you could be sitting there talking and all of a sudden you hear zzzz. Zzz, like now we think of our phone vibrating. Back then we didn't, we didn't have phones vibrating. Uh, but you would, you'd hear this zapping and you would see a pile of dead flies uh, there afterwards. You see, the world draws us in like flies to light. It's what it does. It's intriguing. It's us going, I've got to get to it. Not thinking about the harm that it's going to cause. God warns us when he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The things of the world are darkness, ultimately. The things of the world draw you away from God, draw you away from the blessings that God desires for you, the path that God desires for you. And yet, here we go, flying towards that light. We are charmed by the world's delight. Matthew 24, 42 says, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. The idea of understanding that there is a return, and this is given to us in Matthew, Christ's teaching again here, uh, using a story to, to show us what the future would hold. But he says, you don't know when Christ returns. And so if you live your life charmed by the world's delight, you might find out that you've run out of time. If you're saved, you've run out of time to receive the blessings that God desires for you. If you're lost, you run out of time to be saved. With that warning of of not knowing when the Lord comes, it fits right in with the idea of love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For what does it profit if a man should gain all of the world and lose his own soul? Will you resolve to no longer linger, being charmed by the world's delight? I grew up a very blessed person. I grew up in a Christian home with Christian education, in a good church, and not only in a good church, but within a ministry as well that my parents worked in. I was in the, uh, the most protected spiritual bubble that you could be in. I was not being offered a lot of the temptations that some people are offered as children or as teenagers. It just was never in my life. The first time I was ever offered a cigarette, I was 19 years old, even offered, even saw one that wasn't in an open package outside of one that was in someone's mouth. Uh, it was just never a part of our life. I was never offered alcohol until I was like 22. What do you say, well, wait. Couldn't you have just driven to the gas station? got it? I could have, I suppose. But it was never anything that was around me. I was never involved in anything like that. There were other things, obviously, other temptations, other sins, other things that were in my life. But there was a lot that I was protected from. But as I look back at my life and the opportunities that I had to do some, some wonderful things, the opportunities I had to impact people for the Lord that I did not take. Because I didn't care about them. I didn't care about the opportunities. I didn't care about the people. I was lingering. Sure, I was in a good home. Sure, I was in a good uh, situation in life, a good setting, a, a clean, relatively clean setting in life. But I was still lingering being charmed by the world's delights. I was thinking about, how can I make money? And listen, remember, money's not evil, the love of money. Is the root of all evil, but money itself is not is not in and of itself evil, but I thought about, how can I do that? How can I get away from this life? How can I get far away from this life? I didn't realize how good I had it, and listen, it wasn't not everything was perfect. Remember, even around Christians, there's plenty of sin, but I was being charmed and desired and was living for things of the world, whether it was. So-called popularity, not like world fame or anything like that, but within my circle, uh, being well-liked, being people enjoying, you know, feeling like people thought I was something special, uh, whether it was in relationships or whether it was in finances or whatever it was, I was being lured and charmed and being drawn into the ways of the world, even in a very protected area, even a very protected lifestyle. And I can look back and just see the the possibly millions, definitely thousands of wasted opportunities in my life because I was being charmed by the world's delight, lingering behind, focusing on the things of the world versus the things of God, even though I was surrounded by so many people who were encouraging and challenging and and, and pressing me to follow the ways of God. In Romans 12 and verse number 2, The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In the Christian world, in church and uh, Christian education and things like that, the idea of God's will comes up a whole lot as a young person. Um, You know, you hear it from preachers, you hear it from youth pastors, you hear it from uh, teachers, you hear it from parents, whatever it may be. God's will for your life do God's will for your life find God's will for your life follow God's will for your life well to be honest with you sometimes especially for church kids you you hear the terminology but you never hear the how-to or you never actually claim the how-to maybe you've heard it I don't blame my pastor for my downfalls it's my fault uh, but, but maybe you hear it and you don't ever apply it to your life. And the Bible here in Romans says, don't be conformed to the world, be transformed by God. Well, how do we do that? It says by the renewing of your mind. It's a, it's a change. It's a transform, as it says here. It's, a, it's a, almost a revival, bringing back to life, but renewing, restoring. And that way you can prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I have learned, and I wish it didn't take me as long as it did, but obedience is the will of God. We're looking for this big picture or this voice from God or this magical moment of spiritual transformation and emotion that runs through our body. The reality is if I just obey God, I will be in God's will. But if I'm lingering, if I'm charmed by the world's delight, I will not obey God. Because the ways of the world are not the ways of God. They're in conflict with one another. So if I'll just obey, that will transform, that will renew. We say, well, okay, but preacher, I mean, come on. There's got to be some moment. There's got to be some, you know, I remember as a uh, um, uh, 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 college kid coming to the point where I realized I was running from God versus obeying God. And I remember getting on my knees and saying, Lord, forgive me. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go whatever path you want me to go. And that was an important part of my life. But it wasn't this this spiritual, emotional movement in my life that changed me. It was God saying, you're not obeying, you need to obey. And it came down to the simple things, right? Right? When I read my Bible, God helped me and God guided me, step by step. When I was faithful in praying, God guided me, God helped me, God answered and provided for me. When I did the things, the simple things that God placed in my life and has told me to do, when I did those things, God began to guide me. He began to put me in situations that I didn't know was training me, preparing me. I went to college for four years. I learned absolutely nothing. (laughs) And that's my fault, not their fault, my fault. But I learned nothing in four years of college. I got out of college and started just just doing what God wanted me to do, and slowly he put me into a place that began to to, uh, prepare me for what was to come. I had no idea. I always said I'd never be a pastor. I started doing our youth group at our church in Tennessee. Started preparing messages and lessons and and teaching them uh, and possibly preaching them, a more more teaching aspect of it. Uh, Occasionally my pastor would go out of town. He'd ask me to fill in and preach for him. Next thing I know, the Lord started working on my heart, saying, I want you to leave where you are. So I started looking at opportunities, different things that were out there. Started putting in applications and sending resumes and those kinds of things for different things. Until at one point, God said, I want you to pastor. And I was like, oh, boy, all right. So I started looking for an assistant pastor position where I could learn and train. And next thing I know, I'm a senior pastor in a church in Indiana. And I'm going, what is happening? And I was only there a couple of years before the Lord started working on my heart and said, I want you to go start a church. And I've told you many times over, I said, thank you, but no Thank you. Appreciate the offer, Lord. And he said, it's not an offer. It's what I want you to do. I finally committed to that. i tell you, along the way, to this day, when I'm obedient, God guides, God protects, and God provides. I don't have to wonder what God's will is for my life. All I have to do is obey. His will will happen if I obey. And we come to this point where we allow the world to draw us in, where we allow the world to to charm us. And when the world is charming us, I can't obey God. So I have to resolve no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Number two this morning, I need to resolve, I am resolved to go to the Savior. It's a wonderful uh, uh, line. It's the start of the second verse in the hymn, I am resolved to go to the Savior It's pointing us right to the gospel. It's where it's it's most crucial, where it's so important, where we come to the Savior. For the Savior is not far from us. He is waiting for us, correct? And so go to the Savior. Salvation is the most important thing. The Bible says he is the true one. the, The song says he's the true one. He is the just one. The Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. Well, how do we come to the Father? Through Jesus, I am resolved to go to the Savior. We have to, to get to the Savior, but how do we get there? One of the things that we have to do as well is leave sin. Repentance is an interesting, an interesting Bible topic because as, as simple as it is, it causes a lot of debate amongst some people. But repentance is very simple. Repentance is I'm going this way, and now I'm going this way. I repent of this way, so now I'm going 180-degree turn. I'm going the other direction now. That's repentance. And God makes very clear in our life that we have to put away sin. There there is no uh, debate on that. God says you've got to put away sin. Throughout scripture, especially the Old Testament prophets preaching repent, repent. It's the old popular street preaching uh, uh, move. They did it in the Old Testament uh, uh, where they said repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance is, is important, for we go to the Savior for salvation. But if our life never changes, did we ever receive the Savior? Now I make this very clear, and I try to always say this to make sure no one misconstrues my words. I am not the judge of someone's salvation. It has nothing to do, your salvation has nothing to do with me. I can't. I, you can tell me you're saved. I can believe that you're saved. Your life will prove. And aspects that you're saved as well, but at the end of the day, that's between you and God. All right, so I don't ever say anything to say uh, if you're not doing this, you're not saved. That's not that's not my role. It's not my job. All right, but the importance is. And listen, I have friends, people I love dearly, uh, <laughs> who are adamant that they know if someone's saved or not, and uh, and, and and you know, being their pastor uh, in a different church. Pastor, you need to know this person's not saved. So how do you know that? They do this. They do that. Okay, well, that's, that's not our job. <laughs> that's not what we're supposed to do. But as individuals, we need to resolve to go to the Savior. But the song says not only go to the Savior, but leaving my sin. There's... Maybe no better example in Scripture of this than, uh, than Moses. And in Hebrews 11, it tells us that by faith, uh, Moses, verse 25, uh, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. It's a perfect picture of choosing God over sin. Moses had anything he wanted being the adopted son of Pharaoh, or grandson. Uh, to, to be able to live in the palace and to have the, the rights and the freedoms and the benefit of being the authority's family. He could have done whatever he wanted. But he chose to leave sin. Now, was he sinless? No. No. But honestly, it goes back to point number one. He said, I'm not going to linger here. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And so he chose, by faith, he chose to, to leave the pleasure, the pleasure that, was going to, that he would enjoy for a season, to go through what he didn't know what was coming completely. <laughs> but he said, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to go to him. Now, I'll tell you what, as a Christian, if you want to be skeptical, You can look at this and go, okay, so Moses gave up everything in the world there in the palace to go through the wilderness with a bunch of griping, whining, uh, uh, just horrible people and struggle through the wilderness ultimately to come up short of the promised land. We know the whole story, right? I'll tell you what, as a Christian, you can look at that and go, boy, was it worth it? That's a fair question to ask. Was it worth it for Moses to leave Egypt and the life that he could have had there to (laughs) spend a lot of time with some miserable people that you could argue pushed him into the sin that ultimately kept him out of the promised land? Now again, every individual answers for their own sin. It's no one else's fault. Was it worth it? I 100% believe if you asked Moses, was it worth it, he'd say yes. Why? Because he went to the Savior. Again, he wasn't perfect. He made his own mistakes along the way. But he chose, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to go to him. He resolved to go to God. Leaving his sin. Had Moses stayed, a couple of things. Number one, I believe God would have had someone else. God's not limited. Had Moses stayed, we wouldn't know who Moses is. Maybe history would would bring him up. Maybe he would have ended up being a a powerful leader and and did some things in history. Maybe. But more than likely, the name of Moses we we would never have heard of. Does it matter that we know the name Moses? I'll tell you honestly, no. It matters that we know the name God. But Moses proves to us that even through a life that the people from the outside would look in on and say, Boy, that didn't look fun. Moses got to do things that you and I would never get to do. Think about this for a minute. He went up on a mountain and watched God carve the Ten Commandments. You know, I look at that story always and think he had to hike all the way up the mountain, all the way back down the mountain. Broke him, had to hike all the way back up the mountain. I think, man, that just sounds horrible. <laughs> but he got, he got the burning bush. He got the Ten Commandments. He got the Red Sea. He got to watch water twice come out of nowhere. He got to see bitter water turned into good drinking water. He got to see bread fall from the heavens. He got to see meat provided from God. He got to see things in a way that you and I will never get to see. And I guarantee you that today Moses doesn't have any regret. And I guarantee you he would have had he stayed in Egypt. You need to resolve in 2023 to go to the Savior. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. You need to call on God and ask him to save you. If you are saved, that's not where it ends, right? It's wonderful. It's 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 the most wonderful thing in the world if you're saved. But what now? Resolve to leave sin and go to the savior. Number three, very similar, but but also different is I am resolved to follow the savior. Going to and following are two different things. I am resolved to follow the Savior. Luke six forty six to me, is one of the most intriguing verses in Scripture. Christ speaking, he says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? <laughs> uh, you want to talk about a convicting verse. Why do you call me Lord? But don't do what I say. John 14 tells us, If you love me, keep my commandments. Following God is a its a tough task. I say that. God provides for everything that you need. But, but I also understand our human nature. And in our human nature, it is tough to follow the Savior. Why? Because the Savior asks us to sacrifice. And you look at his sacrifice, and, and, and obviously common sense tells us he sacrificed far more than I'll ever have to sacrifice. But still in my flesh... I don't like to sacrifice. And to follow God, we have to deny ourselves. It doesn't mean that we have to deny ourselves every ounce of joy in this world or anything like that. But it is emptying us of our will and following Him to the fullness of His will. It is... Saying it doesn't matter where I want to go. It's Lord, where do you want me to go? And the picture given us, I believe, of the gospel, uh, it says though that um, there's a wide gate that many people go through, most people go through, and then there's a narrow gate that only a few go through. And it's a, it's an illustration and it's a picture of of uh, again, I believe that's talking specifically about the gospel um, that that. Of of the millions of people that ever lived in this world, a a few, right, ultimately go through that narrow gate. But I believe it's also a great picture of the understanding that, uh, because it says that hard is the way. It's not an easy path. And sometimes we, we try to present the gospel and living for God in such a way that everything is just perfect. Boy, howdy, is it not. I mean, you've been there, right? Has your life been perfect? And Maybe you're an optimist, and you say, generally speaking, yeah, it's been pretty good. If you're a pessimist, then obviously you're saying, no way. I mean, I'll be honest with you. In my <clears throat> following of Christ, it has been the hardest moments of my life, not the easiest been the most rewarding it's been the hardest the times where I'm just walking on my own my own ability and my own power I mean I went through some hardships don't get me wrong but uh, those have been a little bit more relaxed but very little reward to follow God it's going to take a commitment it's going to take resolve. It's going to take a choice and a calculated choice, uh, an an idea behind I'm going to do what God wants me to do no matter what. In order to follow God, you have to understand it's going to take that resolve. You're going to have to know going into it, if I go all in with God in 2023 there's going to be hardships. And again, our natural selves go, "Ah, I try to avoid hardships. In college, my friends and I had what we called the law of conservation of energy. (laughs) Try to conserve as much energy as possible. (laughs) And it was basically just being lazy. Um, Getting other people to do things for you. Uh, You know, those kinds of things. Hey, do you want to go help with these people, they're doing this. Eh, No, I think they got plenty of people. Law of conservation of energy. When you're following God, there is no conserving energy. It's going to be work. It's going to be hard. It's going to um, test you. It's going to stretch you. It's also going to reward you. Romans 6, verse 16, the Bible says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You're going to serve a master this year. Whichever one you obey is the one you're serving. You're going to serve a master this year, but who's it going to be? Are you going to follow God or are you going to head towards the light of the zapper the spiritual super spiritual zapper Whatever you obey is what you serve it's the proof of who you serve If you obey God it's proof that you obey that you that you serve God that he's your master that that's who you're following When you obey the world or yourself it shows who you're serving. It is, it is clear-cut, proof's in the pudding, what you are. And there's a decision that you have to make. Who will you follow? We can say all the things that we've already said about the Savior and how worthy throughout this year we've talked about how worthy God is. And how unworthy I am, and all those kinds of things, we can talk about till we're blue in the face. It doesn't matter if I don't choose to follow God. I can know that God's worthy and still not follow Him. And amazingly, that's what a large portion of Christians do. They know He's worthy, they still don't follow. And I just wonder what are we going to do this year? Are we going to commit? Are we going to resolve no longer to linger, to go to the Savior and to follow the Savior and what we do? That's what we should do. But I can't do it for you. I can only do it for me. So I guess at the end of the day, the simple question is, is are you resolved? Are you resolved to do what God wants you to do? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. I am resolved. It's page two eighty-eight, uh, Miss Kathy. Uh, but I'm gonna pray first and then we'll we'll sing. And I just ask you to consider the words. We're gonna give people one final guess. All right, Sarah and.